Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And so I invite you now to take the position that feels most comfortable for you to receive these words from God. Hear now these words from John. Sometime later, Jesus crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that is Lake Tiberias, and a huge crowd followed him, impressed by the signs he gave by healing sick people. Jesus climbed the hillside and sat down there with the disciples. It was shortly before the Jewish feast of Passover. Looking up, Jesus saw the crowd approaching and said to Philip, where can we buy some bread for these people to eat? Jesus knew very well what he was going to do, but asked this to test Philip's response. And Philip answered, not even with 200 days wages could we buy loaves enough to give each of these people a mouthful. One of the disciples, Simon Peter's brother Andrew said, there's a small boy here with five barley loaves and two dried fish. But what is good with that cannot feed so many people. Jesus said to them, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. As many as 5,000 families sat down. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and gave them out to all who were sitting there. And he did the same with the fish, giving out as much as they could eat. When the people had eaten their fill, Jesus said to the disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so nothing gets wasted. So they picked them up and filled 12 baskets with the scraps left over from the five barley loaves. The people seeing this sign said that Jesus had performed a miracle. Surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Seeing that they were about to come and carry him off to crown him as ruler, Jesus escaped into the hills alone. This, friends, is the word of God for us, the people of God, this morning. Amen. How many of y'all love a really good meal? Yeah, me too. Truly, the ability to eat communally was what I missed most in the season of COVID, especially living alone. I often would have parties by myself and I would make dinner and I would get all dressed up in the fancy clothes I couldn't wear anywhere and then I would eat them in my living room because I just really missed getting to do that. Not to brag, but growing up, my family did communal meals better than absolutely anybody. We know how to party, we are chaotic, we are loud, we are overwhelming to people who didn't grow up in that space. But for as long as I can remember, every single Sunday morning, my mom and I would get up and we would go to church and then we would take the drive about three minutes down the road to my grandparents' farm where we would all have lunch together, or as we called it, dinner. I'd walk up two or three steps into my grandmother's kitchen and my grandmother would greet me and no matter what I looked like, tell me how pretty I was and how glad she was to see me. She would somehow already always be home from church and changed out of her church clothes into her cooking clothes and she would have everything on the table already. Everything ready to go when we walked in the door, except that is for the biscuits. And this, as a kid, was my favorite part. 
My grandmother for my entire life has homemade biscuits every single day. As I would walk in, I would rush to the pantry because everything would be set up, and I love making biscuits with my Nana. She never measures anything. It's all just a splash of this and a handful of that and a sprinkle of something else. She's done it so much, she doesn't even need to think about it. She sifts flour, she throws in Crisco, she pours in buttermilk, she adds a couple more things, and she kneads the dough gently and effortlessly, and she rolls out these biscuits that are so good. I love watching her work. I love helping. I love watching her hands. And as a kid, I loved trying to do it with her, and that she was patient enough to teach me and let me do it alone every once in a while. And more often than not, the biscuits that I make come out of the oven really deformed and rock hard. Like literally you could pelt someone with it and cause harm. And everyone else at the table would refuse to touch them except for my Nana, who would take a biscuit and pull it apart or like hammer it apart <laughs> and tell me how good it was. My entire life I've sat in the same seat at meals my grandparents have this massive wooden table that always has a tablecloth fit for the season on it that is vinyl. Three sides of it are lined with chairs and the fourth side has this bench that my grandfather made himself and it's old and a little bit unstable and I love it. I love the corner seat on this bench where I could sit right next to my grandfather because he is funny and he whispers things under his breath during conversations. I love that spot. Growing up, I disliked more than anything when someone came into town, like one of the cousins who wasn't there every week, and the arrangement shifted, and my bench got crowded, or I got pushed out of the corner, or worse come to worst, I got booted out of the table altogether, and I had to eat lunch in the sewing room on a card table. I love, I love, the memories I have at my grandmother's house. I love that spot. It's where I would sulk and cry when I wasn't allowed to leave the table. It's where I would sit so close to my grandfather who since passed away. It's where I would somehow always end up closest to a pie and get the first slice. It's the spot I would sit in to chant the blessing every week in unison with my cousins as fast as we could so we could get to eat. It's where I would ask my grandfather every week if I could be excused so I could go and play, and he wouldn't hear me, he would ignore me, and I'd sit there pouting until finally my grandmother would say, you can leave the table. And I would like skirt around everybody to get out before my mom told me I needed to do dishes. What I love more than anything about this really not glamorous spot is that it made me feel welcome. More than anything, it felt like home. I walked in the door and immediately felt loved and nurtured and seen. I always felt that I was welcome and people were happy to have me there. I felt so good, more at home than I've ever felt anywhere else, satisfied by 
buttermilk biscuits and sweet tea and my family and my grandparents who are just so good at smiling and making me feel heard. In this week's scripture out of John, Jesus and his disciples meet some very hungry folks. They're out in the world walking around. Jesus is doing his ministry thing and they meet these people on a hillside and the disciples aren't exactly thrilled about it. They're a little wary of these people. You see, something we may not realize when we initially read this scripture is that this isn't only a massive crowd of like 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children that aren't important to count. But we're in Tiberias on a grassy hillside. And this is really important to this scripture because of who that means these people are. The people who would be in Tiberias on a grassy hillside in the middle of the day with nothing to do but listen to this random prophet who's shown up are important people. Because Tiberias is a land of sharecroppers. And that's who these people are. These are people who've been forced into fields to work. These are people who are forced into what we might know best as Jim Crow style indentured servitude. These are people who are hungry in the middle of the day, who weren't hired for work that morning. They are migrant workers who see a familiarity in Jesus who is another migrant man. And the disciples seem a little off-put. And we don't know why. It may have nothing to do with the fact that they are migrant workers and everything to do with the fact that they just don't know how to feed these people. But for whatever reason, they're just not ready to welcome them. They're hesitant. They're hesitant towards this population of folks who barely have enough food to feed themselves, let alone this massive community of people who woke up that morning at the crack of dawn and didn't get hired or picked for a day's work. And so they have no bread. They're hungry, they have nothing to do, they're overlooked, and they choose to gather around this Jesus guy. They've heard about him, and more than anything, perhaps they've heard that he's good towards people like them. And so they go to him. And when they come, Jesus reacts differently than how the disciples want them to. They tell him, no, Jesus, we can't do this. The scripture shows up six times in the Gospels. It shows up in every Gospel at least once and in some of them twice. And every time the disciples are like, hmm, we don't really know about this one, Jesus. And Jesus chooses otherwise. The disciples don't know how to tell Jesus how to be holy. He meets these people with compassion, knowing that they thirst and that they hunger and that some of them are sick. Jesus embraces them while his followers stand in confusion, telling Jesus, you, you should go elsewhere. We need to do something else. 
Jesus decides they should all stay, and so the disciples give in. Jesus decides they can feed these people in the wilderness as they are, right where they are. He asks them what they have to feed the crowds with, and the disciples are like, we told you, we don't. We don't have anything, Jesus. Except for these loaves and fish, which we can take from this kid. In their eyes, they don't have anything to give, and what they have really probably should be kept to themselves. They can't feed this massive crowd. They might even be thinking, if we feed them, we don't get to eat. How unfair is that for Jesus to ask us to give up our food? How unfair is it for Jesus to ask us to try to feed all these other people when we don't even have lunch for ourselves? They're living out of a mindset of scarcity. And y'all, we do this all the time. It is a human, human thing. We live out of a mindset of scarcity all the time. We're just like the disciples are in this moment. And Jesus, he lives out of a mindset of abundance. He says, no, I could do something with that. I can make this work. And the disciples think Jesus has lost it. He asks them to bring what they have. He takes these five loaves and these two fish, and he blesses them, and he breaks them, and then he looks around at all these folks and says, Sit down. Take a seat. Pull up a lovely piece of grassy hillside. And then he and his disciples go around to these folks, handing them bread and fish. And from that, they feed this crowd. This crowd which numbers 5,000, not counting women and children. And we don't know how this happens. I think more often than not, this is the part we get stuck on as people, is like trying to figure out the secret formula. How is it this is multiplied? We like to imagine, at least I do in my head, that Jesus' cloak is also like a Mary Poppins-style bag. And he just keeps like reaching into his Jesus pockets and pulling out more stuff. And everybody's like, ooh, ah. But we don't know how this happens. We don't know the secret formula, and we don't need to get caught up on it. Because what really matters is that we know everyone walks away satisfied. That's the important part, is that the people in this story are no longer hungry, and they're no longer sick, and they're no longer thirsty. And more than that, they're no longer ignored. After it's all over, in fact, the story tells us that the disciples can go around and pass around baskets and pick up extra. It's so abundant, they've got leftovers. Not only were they satisfied, but the meal was so good, they can throw some in the fridge for a sandwich tomorrow. What I love about this is that there's so many miracles in this story. And while we get caught up on this magic Jesus trick, this ability to reproduce food over and over and over again, 
We're so baffled by Jesus' ability to feed this massive amount of people with such little food, we miss the real miracle most of the time. We pay so much attention to the obvious, we miss what really matters in this story, which is that Jesus looks around at these people who are hungry, who do not matter, who are on the fringes of society, who are migrant workers living day to day and struggling, and his disciples are like, hmm, maybe not Jesus. And he invites them to sit down. In fact, the original Greek word used isn't just sit down, it's more like sit down and recline. Jesus looks at these people and says, sit down, y'all. Pull up a chair, relax, throw up your feet. And when do you think was the last time they got that? When do you think was the last time anybody invited them to sit down and have a meal with them? In a world where they are struggling to eat? When do you think the last time somebody invited them to something that felt warm and homey and good? The miracle in this story, y'all, is that Jesus sees them and he values them. He asks them to sit down with him. He asks them to sit and throw up their feet. And then he walks around and waits on them. He takes the food to each of them. He brings the bread and the loaves to them himself. He brings his body and his body to them. And that's amazing. This story invites us to do thing, two things, friends. The first of which is to realize that being invited into life with Christ is being invited to pull up a chair or a slice of grassy hillside or the corner of an old wooden bench or whatever it is that you want to imagine as the homiest seat and know that you are fully loved to sit back and relax, to throw up your feet and know that you will be fed to recline like kings and queens and allow the bread of life to be placed in your mouth. And that's really good news. When we live in a world where people are always hustling and trying to get by and feeling cut short, where maybe we're being pushed out of homes and rent keeps going up and the everyday minimum wage won't go up, we live in a competitive society we live in a world of scarcity, and life with Christ means being invited into abundance. And that's good news. And the other good news of this is if you're not Julie Andrews, and you can't reach into things and constantly reproduce to give to people, there's still a miracle in this story that you can perform. When life feels scarce, when you look around and see there isn't much to give and you just want to hoard things, as people we can remember that Jesus invited us to the party and fed us first. And that Jesus' feast is not one to guard. Because it is abundant to us, it's abundant to everyone else. 
and we have the choice to perform the same everyday miracle that Jesus performs of seeing other people, really seeing them, and inviting them to the table, perhaps for the very first time, inviting them to sit back and bringing the abundance of life as we have received it to them. Bringing the abundance of life to people who are not valued, who live day to day unsure of what tomorrow will bring, who are on the fringes, bringing it to them, inviting them to throw up their feet so that we can sit with them and eat with them. We have the ability to perform that miracle just as Jesus did. And y'all, that is an amazing thing. That is something which I deeply hope as a community and as an individual people, we continue to try to live into.